Hello and welcome. This is the Yoga Revolution podcast. My name is Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him. This podcast is an exploration of how we can live yoga right now and how we can apply the yoga teachings in our lives. We'll discuss the intersection of yoga and social justice, as well as how to build a practice that supports our activism. All my guests are contributors to my new book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yoga Revolution podcast. Thanks so much for joining me again. I'm so excited today to have my special guest here, uh, Kamala Itzel Hayward. Hey, Kamala. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. It's an honor. Yeah, it's it's an honor to have you. I, I want to introduce you formally. So I'm going to, let's see, read this. Um, so you're a compassionate and fierce advocate for love. After serving as a public policy lawyer for 13 years, Kamala left her legal career and founded Attuned Living, a mindfulness and wellness organization that helps individuals heal the sense of separation they feel from others or even from themselves. Her unique work based on the teachings of yoga, mindfulness, and compassionate communication ranges from promoting social justice work within organizations and communities to guiding individuals on their search for personal and professional fulfillment. Today, Kamala holds retreats, classes, trainings, and private one-on-one -on -one sessions online, over the phone, and in person with people from all over the world. Her mission is to gently remind you of your individual wholeness and your in interconnectedness with others and all of life. That's so awesome. And we can put a link to your website um, in the show notes. Is, how does that feel when I read that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lofty, it's a lofty goal, <laughs> uh -huh. well, you know, but it really is what I wish for, for all of us. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just whenever I hear my bio read to me or happen to read it myself, I always think of it as really aspirational, you know, what mm -hmm. I want to see um, and mm -hmm. what I want to support create. And so that's what I'm, I'm reminded of when I hear that. Yeah, I love that idea of a bio as like a mission statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> Well, okay, what I've been doing in these podcasts is I've had each of the contributors read their contributions. I wonder if we could start that, start with that. Can you sh read what you wrote for the book? Yeah, absolutely. So here it is. My practice is to work toward creating a world where all living beings are seen as divine, where all people have access to the resources, opportunities, and privileges they need to experience safety, well-being, and freedom from oppression. In other words, I see my social justice work as my primary yoga practice. And while this work certainly benefits me as a being in this world, I hold it largely as selfless service. I'm trying to help shape a direction toward a destination that we may not reach until long after this lifetime. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love that last part about a destination we may not reach until long after this lifetime. What does that mean, you think? Like, are you talking about reincarnation? Are you talking about future generations? 
both? Yeah, I was really thinking, I was thinking more of future generations and of, of really letting go of this idea that there's somewhere, you know, I believe we need to get, um, but really mm. recognize that this is all part of our, our evolution as human beings on this planet. And that, you know, the, all I can do is just take one step in the direction that I see as one where we're all living in freedom and liberation and not think like, oh, I need to get there because whatever that place that is in my mind that is there, it's going to shift. It's going to move. I can't imagine. I don't believe that maybe any of us, I don't know, certainly not me, has the capacity to imagine what is possible. What would it really look like to live in a world where all beings are free? I don't know. So I just... I move us. I, I, my, my idea is to just move as many people as I can in that direction and let go of outcome. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's awesome. I love that. And, you know, before we go on, I just want to say that we've known each other a long time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> How long? I don't even know. I know. I know. It'll, for, it okay, will you know. be, yes, it'll be this Oh, probably actually this year. So probably I think September, it will have been 10 years or it was 10 years, I should say in September, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. And um, through Integral Yoga and we've worked together at San Francisco Integral Yoga Institute for, for many, many years, we worked together yeah. helping to manage the place, right? Is that it? And, That's right. That's right. Um, and actually, and, and even that, even 10 years might be a little short, actually, yeah. it's probably closer to 20 <laughs> Closer to 20. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I got involved there in, well, I took teacher training in 1995 um, at the Integral Yoga Institute in San Francisco, and I was already involved a little bit before that um, yeah. as, a car, as a karma yogi, as a volunteer. But um, you were around in those early days, actually. That's right. And then you, you kind of... You came around and then you left and then you came back. That's what I remember. Exactly. Yeah. I came back 10 years ago, but it was 2001 that I was there for the first time. And that's, that's yeah. when we probably first met. So yeah, more yeah. like 20 years. Yeah. That's interesting. Are you still, you're still involved with integral yoga? I am. I am still involved. Um, most recently I helped the organization create a program for black indigenous people of color, a teacher training program that was 100% scholarship based. Every student um, was offered a scholarship of up to 100%. And um, every student, every, every staff member, every teacher, every guest lecturer was black indigenous person of color, as well as every student. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and nothing like that had ever been offered through the organization. So it was a really, um, on that level, it was, it felt really exciting. And then also just going through being part of the training staff, um, was just such a beautiful, you know, that alone was such a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was such a beautiful thing to see happening. I'm just, yeah, very excited that it happened. Um, it does remind me actually of how accessible yoga started because, you know, integral yoga was our kind of sponsor originally when I started a teacher training for people with disabilities to become yoga teachers, which is where the name accessible yoga started. Actually, um, it was a 200 hour training 
kind of the same idea of like trading, trying to create a space that was um, kind of like an affinity space, affinity space for people with disabilities to feel that they could find the support they needed and, you know, complete a training and take on that mantle of yoga teacher when the regular trainings out there just didn't feel particularly welcoming or accessible to them. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. I, that, I mean, that was a huge inspiration to witness that unfolding at the integral yoga Institute, you know, while I was, while I was, while we were working together and, um, you know, even the space itself, a beautiful, beautiful space, but in a lot of ways, really inaccessible for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so, you know, to see something really grow out of that organization um, that was kind of beyond the, the both like the four walls of the building itself, but also expanding the vision mm. of integral yoga, or maybe not expanding the vision, but realizing the vision more expansively, maybe that's better put, mm. um, was really beautiful and inspiring to see. So, mm. yeah, I love that. And are you going to keep doing your training, the BIPOC TT? I hope so. You know, it was it was an enormous undertaking. Um, and so I think the, the staff, the lead staff, is just trying to figure out how can we do it without it being quite so much, you know, so all-consuming of each one of us. But we have every intention to, um, or, or certainly my vision is for it to continue, regardless of what my level of involvement looks like. I mean, I would love to stay involved, but my hope is that it continues regardless, independent of me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah. seems connected back to the quote that you read and, you know, what you said about um, your your practice is to work toward creating a world where all living beings are seen as divine, where all people have access to the resources, opportunities, and privileges they need to experience safety, well-being, and freedom from oppression. Seems like I could read in there also maybe like to to find, to get access to the yoga teachings, you know, in a way that is accessible and appropriate and um, safe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and yoga in the broadest sense of the word, right? You know, so many folks hear yoga and they think the postures, they think asana, you know, they think headstands and splits and backbends. But, you know, when I think about creating these yoga spaces, you know, I almost feel like I need to put quotes around yoga just to be clear that I mean, uh, you know, yoga as a as a way of life, yoga as a path to liberation, yoga as a as a way to cultivate community and, you know, and our collective liberation. So yes, it's about yoga and yoga spaces, but everywhere, if you, you know, when I'm thinking about yoga that broadly, really everywhere is a yoga space. Everywhere is an opportunity Mm -hmm. to cultivate deeper peace within and without. Yeah. And then you say, you know, that you say, I see my social justice work as my primary yoga practice. I wonder if you could talk about the relationship between yoga and social justice. And and I'll just say like, that's the section of my book where I put your contribution. <laughs> and so I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I'm just curious, like about that relationship. I think sometimes we oversimplify the relationship and we just say like yoga is social justice, but I think it's really not, it's not that yoga is social justice. It seems like it, there's more subtlety to that relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, what absolutely. I, I think so too. I mean, I think social justice is is a term that can mean so many different things and it means different things to different people. I mean, even just the word justice, I, I don't, I don't want to go into my, <laughs> you know, lawyer background, but you know, no, the word do. justice, <laughs> you know, the word justice means so many things to so many people. Right. And yeah. so social justice is exactly the same. It means so many different things and it doesn't have, to me, it doesn't have implied a method of achieving it. Right. We have a vision of social justice and for all of us, it could be different. And then all of us have different ways that we think we should or could or would want to get there, right? Wherever there is. Mm. And so when I talk about social justice as my yoga practice, I'm really talking about how I'm working toward that vision. I'm talking about that vision, but also how I'm working toward it. So when I think about social justice, I do think of a world where folks can experience the peace that is their birthright, which I think is an individual, um, there's an individual piece to that, but there's also a community piece to that or a collective piece to that, right? Because I cannot be, I, I do not believe that as an individual, I don't believe that we are truly individuals, honestly, mm -hmm. we're all part of one greater whole. And so if one person is not free, we're not free, <laughs> right? So, so, mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, the, you know, part of the vision is really understanding that and moving and living with that understanding. I mean, and I, so, I oh, go ahead. Yeah. yeah no, no, please, finish. please. Keep going. Um, yeah, no. So, so for me, that is a very, that's a very, those are really yogic concepts, right? This idea of this, um, of this place where we're all the same, where we're all connected. And so moving toward achieving that vision with that vision in mind, you know, that's, that's where my yoga and social justice, I'm, I'm not, I don't see a big difference between the two at all. Mm -hmm. But I, I was, I was going to say, I, I could completely agree with you, but I find that the, I wouldn't say criticism I hear, but like kind of the other side of this that I hear from people when I was working on, when I was researching this book before and, and writing it, um, I spent a lot of time looking at this question and I, I think some people feel like, well, that's not what yoga was designed for. Like yoga is an internal practice that's focused on um, self-realization of an individual. And in a way, you already addressed that because you said, well, you don't really see yourself as, or right? You don't see yourself as right. an individual at all. But um, mm -hmm. I just wondered about that. How do you see, how how would you like respond to that in a way? Like that question of like, well, isn't yoga this internal individual practice? Mm -hmm. When I think about this individual experience connecting with the divine, I think first, like, what is, what is the divine if not what connects us all? Right. So the, that, that quest to connect with the divine is, is a quest to connect with where we're all one, where we're all connected. So it, it feels kind of disingenuous to say like, oh, it's just like a, you know, just me doing this thing with this one other thing up above me, <laughs> you know, or not disingenuous. Mm. I shouldn't say that, but it, it's disingenuous to, into how it lives in me. Um mm. You know, I don't see like the divine as some separate thing that I'm just like creating this individual relationship with. But mm -hmm. 
part of what makes us one, right? That is the divine. And then also I think about, when I think about yoga as a, as an individual practice, it's interesting because I, I've, I've heard this claim as well from a lot of different people, but all, from a lot of people who also say, um, you know, we shouldn't be focused on our differences. Why are we even talking about how we're different? Why are we even mm. talking about, you know, different races? Why are we even talking about dif- different sexual orientations? Why are we talking about different gender identities? You know, we should just, you know, we're all one and that's, you know, we should just accept that. Um, both of those concepts, and I bring that up because I feel like both of those concepts are based on kind of this misunderstanding that there's only kind of the spiritual divine realm, and that's all that yoga is interested in. Hmm. But I think yoga is also really interested in this human experience we're having, where we are different, where we are um you know, where we are hurt, where we are scared, the, the, the places that would be really easy and for, you know, you know, maybe it would be really easy uh, to just say like, let's just ignore that. Let's just, we're going to call that not spiritual and instead only mm-hmm. focus on the things we are calling spiritual. And then those are the things mm-hmm. that are yoga, right? Like I think mm-hmm. that that those, that mis- that misunderstanding comes like is at the core of both of these ideas that we're talking about that in yoga is an individual yeah. practice and that we're all one let's not let's ignore anything that suggests otherwise yeah yeah i love that i mean you, you kind of just summarized my whole book i think <laughs> so, you know what i mean like i i just i love what you're saying and i totally agree like this idea of um separation and you know, is that what is yoga about? It is, well, I would say, is spirituality really separate from humanity? I think that's just such a good question. And, and I, I try to address it a few different ways. Like I talk about embracing our failure and how that kind of integrating lessons from our life and our challenges is, is a spiritual practice. I talk about cultivating a relationship between the heart and the mind, trying to look at how we can bridge that gap between spirituality and humanity, as you said it, I thought that was beautiful. Um, yeah, I'm so interested in that. It reminds me of, you know, I think I'm in the book and I always quote um, Swami Shivananda, who was Swami Satchidananda, our teacher's teacher. Mm-hmm. And Shivananda would say, um, seeing the unity in diversity is the goal of yoga. And feels like that's what you're getting at is like seeing the unity behind the diversity. So it's not that you don't see the diversity. Mm-hmm. It's that you see both at the same time. You see that there's difference and connection there. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then when, when we do that, when we see that there's difference and we see that there's, when we see that there's diversity and we see that there's unity, how, for me, I don't see how I can then watch another person suffer on the human level and, and, you know, ignore that or, or, or yoga philosophize mm-hmm. it away. You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, that's spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like to yoga philosophize it away, <laughs> you know, to be like, well, we're all one. So it doesn't matter or yeah. something, or I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, on, on 
you know, you're all, it's all light or something. And so the suffering and the dark isn't real. It's like, well, what is that? You know, yeah. That's the experience we're having or someone's having right now. Yeah. I know you've done a lot of um, anti-racist work and it sounds like that came up there as well. This idea of, I don't see color, right? Like yeah. this kind of ignore, ignoring the, the lived and often painful experience of, of people because it's, difficult to see or something, or because it doesn't fit in with our self image or something like that. The way that I think racism functions feels yeah. similar to this. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and I, when I hear it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's worth going too deep into it, but when I hear someone say, Oh, we're all one, let's ignore color versus I don't see color. I actually hear those as two pretty different things. Um, and the, I don't see color, I think is just, um, you know, more of, uh, I, I, I think it is kind of how a person views themselves, right. And, and what they think it means to see color, right. If you think that seeing color is a bad thing, then you're going to mm. do your really best to not, you know, to, to believe you, you're not seeing color and to live in a way that you believe it means to not see color. But the reality is <laughs> there's color <laughs> and we're in the yeah. society that that in which that matters a lot and it impacts a lot and it and it and it influences how people experience this society. And for us to believe that we can kind of step outside of that and not be touched by that, I think is um, I, I just don't think that's possible. I don't think that's possible. So, yeah, I don't see that. I don't hear that as much as uh, let's ignore color. Color doesn't matter because we're all one. Like, let's stop talking about it. I hear that more. That's the kind of the mm -hmm. line of thinking I hear more in um, in some spiritual communities. And let's stop talking about it because we are supposed to have transcended that human level. Is that it? Right. Like we're trying to identify a spirit and see other people in that way. Mm -hmm. And so that gives me permission to avoid or ignore other people's lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Exactly. It's like the, it's, it's like somehow um, the lived experience is lesser than this kind of other experience that is being called spiritual. But from my perspective, mm -hmm. if spiritual, if spirit is everything, then spirit is everything. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. And it's actually a form of privilege to be able to say, oh, well, let's just ignore that because yeah. it's uncomfortable to even look at it, that you're suffering. You know, I think those people who have suffering or from who have um, a marginalized background come from marginalized background. It's like or people like for me as a, as a queer person, like I know, like it's easy for straight people to avoid seeing what it's like, what my experience has been like, and it can be uncomfortable. Um, but that doesn't make it less spiritual. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's easy, you know, it's easy for a straight person, I think, to say, oh, it doesn't matter. Why do we even have to talk about it? Why do we have to think about it? Because, you know, I myself being a straight person, I don't think about it. Maybe I don't think about it. It's maybe it's easy for me to not think about it. Maybe it's easy for me to walk through the world and not be impacted by it. But that's not the reality for Right. Millions of people. Right. And so even 
even a spiritual person who thinks they're doing good by looking beyond the physical in a way they're they're denying something very essential to people which is their their experience their suffering there's value there yeah and we should respect that i think that's what we're trying to say and i and i yeah i really i appreciate that and i feel like what what we keep doing in this conversation was we're we're talking about how there's really no difference between the lived human experience and the spiritual experience that we need to stop seeing them as separate. Um, which is interesting because if you look at the yoga teachings, I think generally it's pretty, there's a lot of duality, you know, if you look at, I know you're a student of yoga philosophy, so, so I can ask you this, but I wonder if you could, how can you, um, how do you see that in the yoga teachings? What we just talked about that integration. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I do, you know, I do, I do read a lot and do teach a lot kind of the more dual, dualistic thinking of yoga philosophy, because a lot of that is really foundational to yoga philosophy. Um, and, and maybe it has historical importance. I'll say that I think maybe that's probably more accurate. It has really historical importance. It's captured in some of the seminal yoga philosophy texts, you know, that I teach and that I really enjoy reading. And I think it's so important that we understand that um, a lot of these, and I'm not a scholar of, you know, like the, the evolution of yoga philosophy. I really am more focused on just one little slice, but I think it's really important to understand that that slice is part of a larger evolution and that, there were there were changes that, um, yeah. I, you know, I feel like I'm I'm going like a tear out of my depth here. If you start asking me a lot of questions, I'm definitely going to be out of my depth. I won't, but... <laughs> I won't ask you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the philosophy has changed, and it changed up to the point at which it was written, which is what I teach. You know, the writing. You know, the writings, and then it has also changed since you know, since it first was written, captured in writing yoga philosophy. And so I think it's important to just recognize the context in which this philosophy, um, mm. you know, we're, we're, we're studying. Well, so like, can you say, I, okay, I am going to ask you more, but I'm not going to ask you about the history. I want to ask okay. you just about the teachings, because I know you are a brilliant teacher mm. of yoga philosophy, because I've seen you teach. And um, I think, I guess my question is like, say we look at the yoga sutras, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and you have this clear, this kind of differentiation between spirit and mind yes right and it seems like um there's this idea of like the human your human birth your body mind is separate from spirit Mm -hmm. and then we just we were just having this whole conversation about non-duality really about how there's this integration right like we could really stop seeing mind body as a separate thing but that it's all part of the same spiritual experience we're having right now Mm -hmm. all the pain and suffering included I guess I just wonder what your take is on that. Like, cause I know you love the yoga sutras, right? Yeah. I know you teach them all the time. Yeah, I do. I do what, love the yoga sutras. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great question. Cause I do love the yoga sutras. I love, um, there, you know, there, those are a lot of those teachings are teachings that I fall back to oftentimes, you know, when I'm struggling, when I'm having a difficult time, when someone's asking me for support, you know, I often go back to the yoga sutras. And, you know, they are a, they are a dualistic um, document, you know, it's a dualistic capturing of yoga philosophy. And I don't think it's 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it's everything. You know, I don't think it's okay. everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the challenge with spirituality or what, you know, whatever it is that we call spirit, um, we, the human mind, I don't think can, you know, it can't really grasp, understand, capture, write it down. It's just not possible. So anything that's mm. written or expressed in words, or you know, even when I'm mm. teaching, it's <laughs> limited by this human, you know, the capacity of this human being. And and I don't think the Yoga Sutras are out except exempt from that. You know, of okay. humans who wrote those. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so. Um, I think there's tons of wisdom, so much to learn. And I think that there's more that needs to be um, experienced, right? To really understand the truth of what what it means to, to connect with spirit, what it means to find peace, what it means to connect with the divine, what it means to be part mm-hmm. of a greater whole. And so what I strive mm-hmm. to do with my teachings when I teach the Yoga Sutras is to ask questions that encourage folks to look inside and find that within themselves. And to say like, this book is limited. I am limited. What is un- the only thing that is unlimited is only what you can find within you. And so that's what I try to do. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to press you on it. I was just, it's because <laughs> it's something that I struggled with and I thought you could help me, but I, um, <laughs> You know, I try to address it um, in the book too, like this question of, mm, I don't know what the word is, interpretation. And that's what I refer to it as. Like, you know, the fact is the teaching, the, the sutras, for example, were written thousands of years ago and have so much beauty and power and um, wisdom. But it's like, we still need to interpret it for this moment. Like even no matter how, much of a scholar you are, if you want to be a practitioner of yoga, your job is to actually interpret that teaching so it applies directly to your lived experience right now. And so there is this process of interpretation that happens, even interpreting from Sanskrit to English, for example, yeah. but also translating from philosophy to life. Like there's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at in this book is like, we need to find ways to apply the teachings and not just study them. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what you're getting at too. When you ask your students, questions i think that's what i've tried to do in the book too each section has questions in it um to try to get people to do that to start reflecting on well, what does this mean for me yeah in my experience right how can i apply this in my life i think that's really what to me that's the the place where the what is it called the rubber hits the road right. you know where like the the practice is actually um happening is in in practice like in action you know, that's where I find the yoga is most exciting. Um, I mean, I love to read and study too, but that's the easy part. You know, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. the, <laughs> it's the doing of it. That's really hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even the teaching, right? Even the teaching is in some ways the easy part. It's like, right. you know, I can give you all the examples, but well, then what happens when I'm actually faced with an unhappy person, right? <laughs> then what? Yeah. Exactly. Or if I'm the unhappy person. Yes. Yes. Myself, what do I do? I know. Even writing about it, like writing a book about it is actually easier than living it. So <laughs> I um yeah, I think it's just 
It's hard because I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the tradition. If anything, I, I feel such incredible gratitude and respect for this incredible, you know, indigenous tradition from India, for, or from South Asia, let's say, that has transformed my life personally. And I don't want to be changing anything. And so I always say like yoga revolution is not about revolutionizing yoga. It's just about the fact that yoga is revolutionary. Like yoga changes us. And that's what I'm trying to get at, right? Like, how do we live it? Yeah, I love that. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, you know, along those lines, you know, recognizing that every, every written text, right, has its limitations. I mean, I love that you, Mm -hmm. you include so many questions in your book, right? Because that's the only way I think to transcend those limits, right, is to Mm -hmm. ask the questions. So yeah, to not make, yeah. to not make it dogmatic, you know, that's not yoga either. Right. Yeah. And that can be hard. It can be hard to not be dogmatic, but to keep the tradition alive. I get that. Yeah. I see some people who are very like much traditionalists and I think, I think they seem a little dogmatic, but I actually think probably they're just thinking they're trying to keep the tradition going and that's fine. Yeah. You know, that's fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know you you really <clears throat> you work on applying the teachings in your life and with your students, right? Is that is that fair? Is that what you're doing you would say is like helping people find a way to implement yeah. yoga in their lives? I do. I really love sharing the teachings of yoga with my students and sharing how they can use them out in the world. And in fact, some of my favorite ways of sharing the yoga teachings are with folks who don't even see themselves as yoga practitioners and don't even think of me as a yoga teacher. So mm-hmm. really taking these teachings beyond the mat, beyond the yoga studio and, and teaching them as, as the, the divine wisdom that I see them as. Mm. What's an example of that? Like who, who are you? Do you mean people that come to you not in a yoga setting? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. So Right now, I'm teaching several courses on compassionate communication. And the way I think about compassionate communication really is a yogic practice. So Mm -hmm. taking a moment to find some stillness, find some deeper truth, listening from that place of wisdom, speaking from that place of wisdom. And, you know, I think of these as a yogic as, as yogic tools. So Mm. a lot of this work that I'm doing in, you know, the anti-racism work I'm doing, the racial justice work I'm doing is based in yoga, even though (laughs) no one's coming there with, you know, yoga pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. That's, I love that. Um, and maybe you could just tell us more about your work. So how can people find you and what kinds of things, um, what can people, how can the public access your teaching? Yeah. So, uh, the name of my business is attuned living, um, or my company. Uh, so I'm at attunedliving.com and I offer several social justice and allyship programs, both, you know, just offer them independently and open them to the public or within organizations, organizations come to us. Um, to take some of these programs or to offer them in their places of work. 
Uh, and I also do continue doing more traditional yoga work. So teaching classes, um, tra doing trainings, particularly in teaching yoga philosophy, uh, and also some other types of energy healing work as well. And it's, it's all on my site, attunedliving.com. And I would love mm. to, I would love to connect with more people who are fans of yours, as big a fans <laughs> of yours as I am. Um, so yeah, that'd be wonderful. That's funny. Um, cool. Well, thank you. Anything else you want to share about this? Any other thoughts you have around this topic? Just that I'm so excited about your book. I love it. And I love your idea of revolution really being about yoga, being the revolution within each of us, changing each of us. Um, I just think that's such a beautiful um, starting point. And your book just builds into that so beautifully. And it's just such an honor to be a, a part of it. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and thanks for talking with me today. It was great having you here. Thanks for being a contributor to the book, it really it makes me so happy to have you be a part of this project. Um, it's just great to talk to you. Wow, thank you. Thank you, Kamala. All right, take care. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening and joining the conversation. Yoga is truly a revolutionary practice. Thanks for being here. If you haven't already, I would love for you to read my book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. It's available wherever books are sold. Also, you can check out my website, jivanaheyman.com. There's some free classes on there and a meditation, and you can find out more about my upcoming trainings and other programs. Hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye.